Hello and welcome to the first episode of TNC's World Cup Daily. I'm Josh Parrish, and uh, even though I'm a, I'm a privileged white man from the West, today I feel disabled. Um, Nick Stoll over there, today I believe you're feeling like a migrant worker. <laughs> Absolutely, every day. <laughs> and uh, the man who's joining us, our special guest, knows what it's like to be discriminated against because as a child he had red hair. Damia <laughs> Kulash, how are you? I'm pretty good and delighted to be back on TNC and congratulations on all the um, show success um, in my absence as well, might I add. Well, people who've tuned in sort of post like the... <laughs> sorry, sorry. Do you feel the set bladder of this pod? <laughs> like, <laughs> like you were there at the beginning, but now everything's been achieved. All this thing has happened without you. You know, you maybe pulled the names out of the envelope, but now, you know, it's going on without you. Yeah, and a bit like Seb Blatter, I might add that, you know, starting this show was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you unleashed, do um, That is well, correct. Actually, if people have tuned in sort of since the the rebirth, I suppose, of, of TNC, doesn't know that the first iteration was on FNR and Damia Kulash is one of the OGs. Uh, mm. Together with uh, myself, Joey, and and the uh, dearly departed uh, on the UFO, Ante Yukic. Um, but that guy? Uh, look, alien abductions—they'll never be explained. Um, and then the, the the mainstream media just ignores them. That's what I hate. Anyway, those woke, <laughs> those woke mainstream media people. Maybe Matt Letizia will get to the bottom of it. Well, uh, Gianni and Fantino uh, inaugurated the World Cup um, not only with that train wreck of a of a speech. Um, he really thought he was doing something there. He really, he really thought he was going to be like Martin Luther King. He's going to be quoted in a hundred years' time. What an iconic moment! This is going to be like the opening line of the documentary about his life. Oh my god! Oh my god! Could, it, could you have given a worse answer? But the thing was, it wasn't a question and an answer. It was a written was speech. Prepared, like, yeah. like someone, I go, what do you reckon? I'll say this, I'll say I feel gay, I'll say I feel disabled, i say I feel like a Michael worker. Yeah, Johnny, good stuff. Yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll really get the crowd going. And then it turned out he like copied it off like Andrew Cuomo, who was the guy who like ended up losing being the New York governor as well. Just already like one of the most, the, this is by far the most bizarre World Cup of all time. And that speech did you know, hit the mark in terms of we need a bizarre speech for a bizarre World Cup. It does feel totally alien, the whole thing. I I would like to say I made a moral stand by not watching the opening ceremony, but really I just didn't want to get up that early. I think 3 a.m. was early enough for me. <laughs> I think I think there was a few moral stands made. <laughs> they were all sleeping very comfortably. Yeah, um, I feel like it, given the unappealing nature of the opening game, just as a an NRI less fixture, I think a lot of people made a moral stand at least on match day one. Uh, yeah. But uh, Damir Kulash, I know you uh, you watched it. You're making a huge commitment. You're actually taking time off work to watch the World Cup. I understand. <laughs> Hey, I had um, quite a bit of leave uh, to use up and, you know, what better time than the World Cup to um, use that leave, particularly if you're not going away. Um, might I add, though, the opening game of the tournament, if you didn't watch it, you didn't really miss too much, did you? Stinker, absolute stinker. <laughs> I mean, imagine, I tweeted this, but imagine spending $200 billion plus building all these stadiums, hiring all these fake fans, paying off all these FIFA executives to get the tournament in the first place, spending billions and billions on 
you know, academies and building your team and so forth over the last decade, taking your players away from their club teams for six months into like an individual camp and going on a European tour, you know, of friendlies trying to prepare the side for the World Cup and then dropping a performance like that in the opening game. Do you think Qatar has buyer's remorse after that? Because that was embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I tell you what, they're going to call Chavi. Chavi coached most of them at Al-Sad and be like, what the hell is that? We paid you millions right, to get us a Barcelona-level team. We wanted 2011 Barcelona. What was that? It was, it was, it was unbelievable. And I'll just say, you know, there was a lot of talk pre-match that, you know, they, the game was going to be rigged and that was going to be 1-0 Qatar. And, you know, I feel bad because I put my life savings on that, thinking, yeah, this is a sure <laughs> thing. This is good to know. And in ESPN tradition, I've got to say that we've been hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray, run amok, flat out deceived by that random guy on Twitter. And for any of you who suffered the same fate, solidarity with you um no look it, it was a it was a funny opening game i mean enna valencia i totally forgot about that guy that was like the biggest like here's a random name remember you know it feels like he's one of those guys that just pop up on twitter like do you remember enna valencia when he played yeah, at west ham the streets won't forget enna valencia's season at west ham or whatever the streets forgot this guy's had <laughs> such a weird career he's played in like mexico for like most of it and and done quite well and, and now he's i think at Fenerbahce or something but no, it, it was it was good to say and in a way, it was nice that, you know, it would have been like even with the first goal that was offside and, and you know, everyone was like, oh, the fix is in and da, 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 and, and had. Oh, I was one won. of those people. That was my immediate reaction. I was like full on righteous. You know, mm. this, the, 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 the aura of competitive um, or the illusion of, of competitive balance has completely been shattered in my eyes. This is like corruption at the highest level. And it took me maybe 30 minutes to realize that actually it was offside. <laughs> They were playing. They were playing so bad that even even all the corrupted officials like, look, we can't keep this up. Like, you got to do your end of the bargain and actually, like, you know, <laughs> keep the ball a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, I, I think it was good because in in terms of had Qatar won one nil, and I think the I think the overall audience was underestimating Qatar' ability in terms of football. They are Asian champions. They had done quite well uh, at the Copper America previously. Uh, it, it seems that their players got a bit of stage fright. It seems that you know maybe the fact that they haven't kind of been playing competitive football for a while and they've been in this camp kind of all training together, maybe that actually had a, a more of a negative effect than, than they're anticipating. So I, I actually think it was a really good result for the tournament for Ecuador to win because had Qatar won one nil. It would have easily been dismissed as, oh, look at this, like, wh what are we even doing here? Da, 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 da. So, um, well done to Ecuador. Uh, you know, and I think this, I think a lot of people around the world, especially maybe not in Europe, are hoping that this is going to be South America's tournament. Uh, you know, Argentina and Brazil are two of the favorites. I think Uruguay is going to do quite well as well. Um, so, for Ecuador, uh, to do, obviously, Peru's not there because we beat them, but um, for Ecuador to do well, I, I thought it was a good way to start the tournament. Uh, Damir, uh, what did you make of, of Ecuador's performance and uh, Qatar dropping the massive egg in the first half? I think one of the defining images of the game will be just Felix Sanchez just completely stumped and miserable on the sideline um, after uh, countless poor passes from the Qataris. But look, I thought Ecuador were good value in the first half. Uh, Valencia was fantastic and... Uh, coming into the tournament, I expected him to have a good tournament just because he'd been there before in 2014, three goals in three games, 
did a commendable job in qualifiers. I mean, Ecuador were to really a surprise package of South American qualifying because when you look at the NRI index, they're not a Colombia, they're not a Chile, they're not even a Peru, but um, for most of the qualifying campaign, they were, I think, just right behind Brazil and Argentina and ultimately the quality showed. In the second half, I think they took their foot off the pedal a bit. They realised they didn't have to exert themselves as much. And I do wonder whether, I know it might be a bit funny to suggest it after the first group game when you've got two other games to go, but whether that might count against them. Because if you recall in the last World Cup, Senegal um, were eliminated uh, because they had the same goals record as Japan. And then it went into... Uh, their disciplinary records, if I uh, recall correctly. And you do wonder with Senegal and the Netherlands to play Qatar, whether they're going to give them uh, frashings, which will improve their goal difference to the detriment of Ecuador. Yeah, I mean, the Ecuador could have made more of the second half, I thought. I felt that they managed the game, they brought... Valencia off. They brought an extra man on in midfield just to just to hold things up. Just to um, stole your on mute. I'm not sure what you're trying to. Uh... <laughs> I was just gonna say the bribe took a little while to clear. You know, it wasn't in the bank account pretty much. And then half time they checked. Oh, okay, it's come through. All right, take the foot off the gas. All good. Uh, and I think that you know for Ecuador, one of the things to look out for uh, in the coming games is just the status of Enea Valencia, just because. At halftime, you would have had odds on money that he wasn't going to come out in the second half because that knee did look to be quite banged up. I think at one stage they brought the stretcher out, not that they ended up using it. And if he's limited or not playing in the next couple of games, that's a massive blow to them. The one player that did impress me from Ecuador was Preciado, the right back who, you know, given the hairstyle, the crossing ability, and also the fact that Ecuador plays in a yellow kid reminded me a lot of a Juan Cuadrado from Colombia. And he was only brought in pretty late on. And I, I believe that he was elevated to the starting lineup because they had that issue with the Castillo. eligibility of one of their players. Yeah, yeah, Byron Castillo, who um, um, is Colombian, I believe. Mm. Well, <laughs> was, was found to be Colombian. <laughs> um, you know, Look, that, same kit, same border. You know, it's gonna happen every now and again. So uh, you know, I, I don't know. Similar flag as well. You, yeah, you, exactly. you could maybe, you could maybe say uh, similar about Qatar's right back. But anyway, um, <laughs> Pedro Miguel. <laughs> you know, trying to learn the words to the national anthem overnight. No, that's that's not actually true. Uh, he's played for them for a while, but um, it, it did feel to me that you know, Ecuador, Qatar made things easy for them. Like they were, they were electric in the first fifteen minutes. Like the the pace of their play, they were so direct. They were, you know, just at a different physical level. I felt to the the Qatar players who were just behind the pace, off it. Like they were totally off it, and uh, you know, really exciting balls into the channels. Like it was pretty, it was pretty rudimentary stuff, but it was really effective. They were whipping crosses into the box. Valencia was winning every header, but I felt in early phases of build up, they were really vulnerable like against a better team who's going to press them higher the way that they drop 
you know, they're playing a four four two essentially, but they're dropping one of their central midfielders between the centre backs in build up. So that leaves um uh Caicedo uh from Brighton as literally the only central midfield player. Like there's this massive hole in the middle of the pitch and they tend to play it out down the flanks. But a couple of times, and which actually led to the penalty, um, Qatar let them play straight through the middle of the field when they only had one central midfielder in there. And it's like a good team's not going to let them do that. A good team mm. is going to press them higher and force turnovers in that area because they leave themselves so undermanned. Yeah, look, Qatar, it was a unorthodox approach from them. Um, it, was, it was a strange, it was a strange game. I don't know. Qatar, look, I actually thought they were going to get out of this group. Uh, I was kind of confident. In them. I thought they were good at the Asian Cup. Mm. Um, so yeah, big, big disappointment, uh, Qatar. But you know, that's that's funny. <laughs> that's all. I, and you know, I can't wait to listen to the Qatari edition of the national curriculum and just you know, <laughs> these last twelve years, this is our opportunity, this is our moment, and you know, the whole thing needs to be scrapped. These we need to change the bloody curriculum. bloody Catalans. They came in here, the Catalan influence, and they ruined our <laughs> curriculum. <laughs> the Catalan curriculum. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, well, he's already. He's already face palming, and I haven't even added him to the stream yet. Uh, uh, Damien, I was going to say, do you think that Antonio Valencia would be disappointed with the result in the sense that everyone's now going to, you know, Ene Valencia is back in prominence, and in 10, 20 years' time, we're going to look at Ene Valencia's goal-scoring record at a World Cup and think that he was actually the better Valencia, even though Antonio had such an illustrious career in the Premier League particularly at United over such a long time. I, I remember that one season where he just was whipping in crosses for Wayne Rooney every week. <laughs> it was just like, and then he got injured and, uh, and he turned into a right back. But anyway, Joey Lynch is on the ground in Qatar. Joey, uh, welcome. Uh, how, how did you experience the opening game? Uh, I experienced the first half whilst at France training. Uh, watching on there, uh, Kamavinga didn't train, uh, did media, but didn't train. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, and then the second half, myself and <laughs> Billy... Does that suggest that he's underestimating Australia? That he just goes, oh, I didn't training, I will do a media. Hey, we're talking, so. talking about practice, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can talk about the second. I'll let, I can talk about the French attitude towards Australia in a second, but... After that, myself and Vincenzo Regari, uh, we went to the so main. Is there some kind of alarm going off in the background? Is uh, that? It is, uh, is that... the crosswalk. <laughs> I'm near a crosswalk. Um, I, I'll, I'll move down the road, but yeah, then myself. Is there, and... is there fury in the streets, Joey? Is there fury in the streets at such a disappointing game? Are they uh, already mostly... chanting for Felix Sanchez's head? And I mean well, that as in to fire him, not any other things. Uh, well. In terms of where I am in Mushrab, uh, it's mostly Tunisians on the streets from what I can see. I've seen about six Tunisian shirts in the past two they, minutes. Are they dressed up as Qatari supporters, though? Uh, at this point, I can't tell the difference. Hey, Joey, have you seen any um, potential Socceroos fans who maybe look like they are being paid to be Socceroos fans? We've seen it from a few other countries. I, I haven't seen any Socceroos fans of that variety yet. I've seen some what? Well, I've seen some Australians hanging around. Jamie Van Leeuwen, uh, the ESPN uh, camera wizard, who's with me here in Doha, he hang out with a few of them. But no, I haven't seen any suspiciously Qatari-looking Socceroos fans whilst I've been out here. Okay, all right. 
just blink twice. I, I, I'm on the lookout. I'm, I'm on the lookout, though. I'm genuinely looking for them. Oh, it it, it kind of sounds like you're uh, like this is an update on the BBC from 1955 mm. with that like little ticking in the background. It's like tick, 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 tick. and and the you know, foreign correspondent with the linen shirt with the sleeves rolled up and <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, so Martin Boyle out of the World Cup, uh, heartbreaking for him. After all the hours that we dedicated to Tilio debate on this podcast, it ends up being moot as he gets brought in as a last-minute injury replacement. So many hours of our lives that we could have saved. So many espresso TNC editions that could have really been espresso. Um, but, Joey, how does that affect the, uh, the Socceroos campaign? Well, it, it creates an interesting dynamic going forward for them because now you would think that Tilio will take up a position sort of similar to Garan Kuol and then he'll come off the bench. And it sort of leaves the Socceroos with three viable starting options on the wing, out-and-out wingers that can start a game in uh, Matt Leckie, Craig Goodwin and Awerma uh, Bill. So and it's going to be very interesting to see what Arnie does because, of course, Matt Leckie can also play as a number nine and he's been playing as a 10 at times throughout this season um, for Melbourne City and indeed Arnie, not in an interview with me, but in an interview with others, Arnie has brought that up, brought that up unprompted. So I think it's looking increasingly likely. I think we'll see Mabil and Leckie start on the wing now in the absence of Boyle. And the general consensus amongst the press back here is that it's looking increasingly likely that it will be Mitch Duke that starts leading the line. Um, the other big question, of course, is how many defenders are the Socceroos playing against France? How many How many can we play? 15? <laughs> Get them all well, the, the big talking point is will the Socceroos shift to a back five, back three, a back five, whatever you want to call it, against the France? There's a lot of talk about it here in Qatar, which is, you know, somewhat delicious given the way the last Australian coach's <laughs> tenure went with uh, his tactical choices. But, yeah, the Are big we going to see the that... same level of opprobrium from Robbie Slater when uh, when we get spanked 4-0 after we change the formation? So, uh, just, just quickly on that, Joey, the back three, back five, thing, is that just kind of rumours swirling around or is that information that you guys have been given? Have you seen something in training? What, what indicates that? You're making the same um, gesture as that Ecuador fan in the stands, still. <laughs> Don't make that gesture. Um, it's been reported by Dave Davidovich in Keep Up. It's been reported by Dave Davidovich in Keep Up, and Graham Arnold's uh, didn't present the most uh, compelling figure in denying that he was going to play a back five under questioning. Of course, he's never actually going to say, "Yeah, I'm totally switching up my formation." To something we've never played before just before he plays the French. But I don't know, it certainly feels like it's more likely. And that creates an interesting phenomenon because you'd think, it, by all indications, it seems Harry Soutar is going to be fit to start. So you'd think he takes up one of the centre-back positions. And then it's sort of who the other two are that come in. You've got Kai Rolls and Bailey Wright that would, if you were just going out-and-out centre-backs, would be the most likely. But Milos Degenek has a bit of versatility. You can play on the ball a little bit. And then, of course, Thomas Deng. He's basically in the squad to be a centre-back right-back. So if you were going to be playing a back five, 
it would seem a bit silly not to plug him in as the right centre back in a back five. It's it's also interesting in the sense that a lot of the a lot of the uh, debate and analysis leading into this squad has been who starts at right back, Fran Karacic and Nathaniel Atkinson. Well, if the Socceroos are playing a back four, you'd think maybe Fran Karacic has the edge because he's a bit more defensively minded. He plays for Brescia Calcio in um, Italy, Brescia Calcio in Italy, where there's a bit more emphasis on defensive fundamentals. But if they're playing a back five and it's a right wing back position, all of a sudden Nathaniel Atkinson, who's basically a converted midfielder playing right back, maybe he has the edge in that uh, debate. And I think one of the difficult things in assessing Australia's chances for this game against France is the fact that under Arnie, not only have we not played a back five, but we haven't played European opposition. Of course, part of the reason as to why is just because of the nature of the pandemic and the restrictions that that has imposed, also extended qualifying past um, its scheduled date at the time. So, I mean, going into the game, it's quite interesting how the last time we played European opposition was actually Denmark in that game four years ago. My bad. Jimmy. Make up Go your on. mind. Am I, am I muted or am I unmuted? <laughs> no, it, 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 it is going to be super interesting. I mean, it's when you're trying to figure out what the team's actually going to look like, given you know the sudden talk about back fives versus back fours, and um, but, and the like. It's trying to figure out. Really, you you would say that perhaps there's only two or three players you could with 100% rely... Well, not 100%, but maybe 95% reliability predict that we'll be starting against the French. You'd say Matt Ryan, almost certainly see Aaron Moy um, in the midfield. So and... it would be very funny if after all this, Matt Ryan doesn't start. Just Redmayne <laughs> oh, straight it, in. It would be absolutely hilarious. Oh, and Danny Vukovic... What's, uh, what's Kamil uh, Grabara Danny... doing? Can we call him up? I don't know. Well, Danny Vukovic wasn't actually in the 15 minutes of training we were allowed to observe tonight. Apparently, he had a tight calf. So, uh, <laughs> he was messaging his haters on Instagram. <laughs> no, but um, the three players that you'd say relatively comfortably would start would be Matty Ryan, Aaron Moy, and Aziz Bayic. Everyone else, you can sort of make cases that, well, if Arnie does this, he won't play. But if Arnie does that, he'll play. If Arnie wants to achieve this, he'll play. If Arnie wants to achieve that, he'll play. So there's really just so much in the air. I mean, I think... Yes, yes. I think... I think we can comfortably say that Arnie will also be playing a double pivot, regardless of if he's playing a back five or a back four, purely for that extra defensive cover against the French side that... Yes, they might have lost Karim Benzema, but they're still loaded with attacking so who, talent. What do you think the midfield composition will be for Australia? <laughs> to be honest, I, I, I was writing an article about this tonight. I, I really don't know because the back five just throws up so many open questions. If it's a back five with a double pivot, what do the three players in front of them look like? Do you playing with two centre forwards and a 10 in behind them? banking on your wingbacks to get up and down? Are you just playing um, with wingers tucked in? What are you doing? So I'd say Aaron Moy comfortably starts. Uh, Aiden, um, Aiden Hurstich won't be starting. Uh, Arnie has said he'll be coming off the bench against the French, but he should be right to start against 
uh, Tunisia. I would have to imagine Jackson Irvine starts. He's in the leadership group. Um, we've been asking for him to speak to the media ever since we pretty much got here and he hasn't done yet, but uh, uh, he's in the leadership group. I'd have to think that he starts, but with Rustic not starting, it opens up. I, I'm inclined to maybe think it's either Riley McGree or Cameron Devlin, but I really don't know. Joey, you spoke to Julian Laurent on TNC yesterday. If people haven't heard that chat, you should, uh, go check it out. It's on our pod feed. Um, is there a role for Craig Goodwin in this match? Because Julian Laurent pinpointed set pieces as the weak point in the French defence. And I have to say that got me a little bit excited because if there's one thing we can do, it's Goals take and a assist. set piece. Yeah, exactly. And Craig Goodwin... <laughs> is the, the premier proponent of, uh, of set pieces in the soccer squad, I would argue. Indeed, that, that is one of two big things I think Goodwin has going for him in the debate about him versus Awa Mabil. One, his set piece delivery, his ability to whip balls into the box, especially if Mitch Duke's starting in there, because if you're going to be starting Mitch Duke, you might as well play to his strengths, and that's just putting balls in there that he can hurl himself at and hopefully put in the general direction of the back of the net um, and the other thing is quite frankly just Goodwin's been playing so much more than uh, Awa Mabil. I know Mabil's training you know in a La, La, La Liga environment but just Goodwin despite the fact that he's been coming back from an injury he's still in much better form than uh, Awa Mabil. so I, I yeah I think Leckie comfortably is the most comfortable starter of the wingers but the Mabil Goodwin, I would not be surprised whatsoever if Goodwin starts on the left, especially, as you said, Josh, with set-piece deliveries coming in, Harry Sutar potentially starting, which means he's going to be getting forward for corners. I mean, it could be a situation wherein you've got Goodwin whipping corners into the box, targeting one of Mitch Duke, Matt Leckie, or Harry Sutar, or Bailey Wright, or Kai Rouse. I mean, in theory, you could, you could, we could just be going full tall timber. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Um, I think we should leave it there, Joey, because the uh, sound of the crosswalk is starting to oh, I I do, my brain. I do have some updates as well. Speaking to uh, myself and Vincenzo, speaking to some French journalists today about the legacy of four years Is that on ago. Vince's yacht? <laughs> The, the, the penthouse suite. <laughs> well, when I was walking into the media centre today, they made they searched me and they made me open my wallet. I had to tell them that Vince is the one that you want to be opening his wallet. He's the one with all the cash. No, but um, according to these French journalists, the legacy of four years ago actually is playing heavily on the mind of Didier Deschamps. And with such a young group that he has brought in, he has actually been really pressing into him, pressing into this group, the importance of not taking Australia lightly because he remembers four years ago when a lot of, as uh, Ju uh, Julian Loren said in our chat the other day, a lot of French uh, Frenchmen, French media, French football observers feel that the French were lucky to get three points from that game, maybe lucky to get a point from that game. So Deschamps has really been nailing in and unfortunately for Australia, According to the French journalists we spoke with, it sounds as though the French squad is paying heed to those warnings and they aren't overlooking Australia and they're really um, paying attention. Of course, they also don't know individual players. One of them said in their press conference today, I actually don't know any individual Australian players, but 
they are taking them seriously, which is going to be interesting. And the other interesting tidbit that I thought would be really interesting to share, the French journalist telling us that Benzema's absence, whilst it's not good from a footballing sense, it actually might be good from a harmony sense for the French. Because now you have a situation wherein uh, Kylian Mbappe is the guy. There's no argument. It's not the Mbappe and Benzema show. It's just the Mbappe show. Uh, Mbappe doesn't have to share his toys anymore. So that might actually create a more harmonious environment in the French dressing room. And Benzema has never quite gelled with the French national team. He's, uh, a lot of the time, he's, he's felt like an outsider. He said so himself, um, saying that mm. when we lose, I'm, I'm Algerian. So, um, uh, Joey, thank you very much for the update from Qatar. Um, also I'll said, get... you better pay off my friends to uh, stop a certain <laughs> tape going out. That probably didn't help with the unity. Yeah, <laughs> probably. That, that, that's also an issue. Um, Joey, I will let you get back to uh, uh, you and Vince's well, uh, penthouse suite. Here's Mushrab. Lovely. Uh, enjoy the. Uh, Thank you very much. Looks like surrounds. a bad version of the Gold Coast. It does. It does. Um, it's. It sort of actually does feel like that, like a golf bad version of the Gold Coast. <laughs> oh, I'm never well, going to be able to get that out of my head now, Stoll. Thank you for uh, that. <laughs> no worries. Well, don't go getting king hit many uh, Qatari nightclubs, um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll uh, speak to you again soon. Good to see you, Joey. See you guys. Yeah. See you, Joey. All right, so on to tonight's games. Uh, we have England making their tournament debut up against Iran. Uh, Damir, what are you expecting to, to see in this one? Not many goals, that's for sure. No. Uh, Kirosh is very uh, pragmatic in the way that he sets up his teams. You look at Iran in the last two World Cups, they've uh, very much been set up not to lose. And, you know, against an England team that will have a weight of expectation against them, um, it will be, you know, a, a fascinating contest. Don't really expect too many goals. And can I say it's just <laughs> quite interesting how Carlos Quiroz is back coaching Iran for this World Cup, their third World Cup in a row after missing out in 2010, when he himself basically ruined the qualifying campaigns of two other countries in Colombia and Egypt who he managed during the World Cup qualifiers. I think Colombia was early on, got off to a slow start there. They never really recovered even after they got rid of him. And um, Egypt, if you recall, they lost in that playoff against Senegal on penalties, if I recall correctly. Well, uh, Kerosh never tends to be too adventurous. So I think uh, under 2.5 is a good uh, prediction for this game. But For all three. For all three of these games. <laughs> um, Sada Asmoon continues to be under something of an injury cloud. He's still recovering from a torn muscle. So whether he starts or not is a big question for Iran. Mehdi Taremi, probably the, the other option to maybe start as a nine rather than on the wing for them. Um, uh, likely to be a back three for England of Maguire, Eric Dyer and John Stones. And for me... <laughs> that there are alarm bells going off left, right, and center, especially when you consider that uh, the goalkeeper for Iran, Ali Reza Berenvand, has this awesome throw, throw. This yeah. monster kind of uh, discus action. He gets the ball. He can throw the ball all over the halfway line, and I can just see, like, one long ball from Berenvand, one long throw, causing that back three all sorts of problems. So I'm going to go for the upset here. I reckon Iran's going to win 1-0. Wow. I'm going to say England 1-0. 
Barely, Baron Van Assist. All right, England one nil. Who scores the goal? Still, money with um, Harry Kane. Harry Kane, dummy. Give me a score prediction. Uh, nil nil. Nil nil. <laughs> Get excited for the World Cup, guys. <laughs> well, it was interesting because um, FIFA uploaded a video interview they did with Mehdi Taremi, who is in great form for Porto. I think he's got five goals in five Champions League games this season. And they asked him to predict all three of Iran's games. And he basically went with nil-nil against England, one-nil against Wales, and two-nil against uh, the USA. So he's uh, very much expecting there not to be a very adventurous Iran. Um, Asmoon, interestingly enough, I'm not sure how many people are aware of this, um, is actually a racehorse owner. And one of his favourite films is Run Like a Girl. And oh, sorry, ride like, ride a, like girl. a girl. Yeah, that's <laughs> if right. she was running, um, she wouldn't have won many of those races. <laughs> correct. And um, he actually reached out to Michelle Payne after watching that movie. So it wouldn't surprise me if post retirement you do see him uh, at the Melbourne Spring Racing Carnival quite often. And I also think, you know, on a serious note, um, the political situation instability in Iran also gives this game that sort of added edge of. How will the Iranians be able to, I guess, um, compete against that backdrop? And also, what a positive World Cup achievement for that country means for the players in the team. Because I understand that, you know, a lot of the players in that team, most notably Azmoon, have been quite supportive of the protests that have uh, engulfed much of Iran over the course of the last couple of months. And also what sort of message it sends out about the regime if you see um, sort of symbols of defiance or solidarity with the protesters from players, whether it's during the course of the national anthem or upon, you know, the celebration of um, goals. And um, if the regime can, I guess, hijack a potentially good achievement by sort of Mm. indicating that, you know, this is our team of the Islamic Revolution, uh, Islamic Republic of Iran, and um, this is what our players are able to do against Western nations like England, like Wales, and most notably the USA in the last group game, which is a rematch of that uh, famous contest from France '98. Well, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what the anthems are like, whether they cover up the, the crests again, all that stuff is going to play, uh, loom large in the background for Iran uh, through this tournament. Uh, so, yeah, fascinating. Um, uh, let's talk about the 3am game between Senegal and Netherlands. Uh, Sadio Mane has been ruled out of the tournament, which I can't think of a, a more impactful player for one national team. Like, it just, it hurts. That really hurts. And he's at the peak of his powers. Um, Senegal. I just, I just got a message from the UFO. Someone, <laughs> someone said Modric for Croatia. <laughs> well, you know, Modric have other midfield options. Let's say Senegal yeah. don't have another Sadio Mane, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I I struggle to see this campaign going well for them in his absence. They're coming up against uh, Louis van Gaal's Netherlands. His uh, his last World Cup um, for health reasons. So. Um, yeah, it's a pretty serious health situation. There's going to be an emotional thing for um, for the Netherlands throughout this tournament as well. 
Um, hey, lo- love the comments coming in. Just huge call from uh, Jess uh, Samut via YouTube. Uh, I don't know if it's Samut or Samut, so sorry, Jess. Uh, Depay to land a hattie in this one. A hat trick, Depay, no Ooh. check. This, this is going to be 1-0 to the Netherlands. I agree. Um, that's going to be 1-0, but uh, might I add, I agree with the comment. Or I support the comment in the sense that... <laughs> you're, you're confused about how hat-tricks work, do me. It's been a while. Uh, been in the, the sense show, that I've got... I've got Memphis Depay as my pre-tournament golden boot favourite uh, just because, or, or tip, uh, just because he's been in, you know, great goal-scoring form for the Netherlands since Van Gaal took over. Yeah, he's uh, he's their main man. Uh, they'll probably play this this three five two, um, although they do play 4-3-3 on occasion. Um, and whether they go with uh, big Wout Weghorst up front or whether it's the, the Bergvine Depay... Uh, two-man game remains to be Respect seen. Respect Luke De Jong. <laughs> I mean, respect it, Luke De Jong, not Frankie. <laughs> it was no respect for Frankie. It was one, one had a good Barca career, the other one hasn't. I was going to add that it was interesting this morning. A lot of people, as you alluded to earlier, uh, found out that Enia Valencia is still playing. Um, one name that's on the Netherlands World Cup roster that I'd completely forgotten about, Vincent Janssen, who had, after leaving Tottenham, not a great spell, went to Turkey. Uh, I don't think it was a productive spell. Also played at Fenerbahce. Then he ended up in Mexico, a bit like Ene Valencia, and now he's playing for Antwerp in Belgium. And he's ended up on the World Cup roster ahead of guys like Dan Juma and Marlin, who I guess have had recent prominence with Villarreal and Dortmund. Yeah, um, there's so many names that pop up at World Cup time. This is one of my favorite things about the World Cup is you, you get these like throwbacks, these <clears> players that are still like key men for their nation after their you know European careers or whatever have become a little bit more obscure. Um, I'm going to go 2-1 to the Netherlands in this one. And the 6 a.m. game between the U.S. of A. and Wales. Um, Sacker. That's that's uh, is it is it going to be soccer? soccer? Uh, is it going to be a victory for the U.S. though? Uh, look, I think this is going to be like a real nil-nil, one-nil. Uh, I'm not sure who's going to win. I, I, one-nil either way. Like, it's hard to predict. I just don't think there's going to be a lot of goals in this one either. Um, I'm going to say one-nil to Wales because I think it's a great story the first time that they've been at a World Cup in 64 years. Damien? I'm going to say 2-1 to the US. 2-1 to the US. Wow. Okay. I'm going to say this one is going to be a miserable nil-nil. So... Uh, <laughs> What a way to end 2022 it. underway. And uh, we all know that um, I actually misread the fixture style because uh, Argentina, Saudi Arabia is happening, but it's actually tomorrow night um, yeah. at 9 p.m. And that's the one you've got as appointment viewing, right? Messi Hattrick? Uh, no, that will start slow. We'll just slowly build his way into the tournament. Look, we've got a peak game seven. All right. It's not about game one. Don't worry about that. You want to get there nice and slowly. So keep it on Messi. Oh, uh, no, I think someone disproved that. It's like, okay. it turns out, like, it, it, I mean, unless they rest him for two games, I think he's going to make it in like the quarterfinals or something, which is a shame. Well, uh, fellas, thank you for joining me this morning on this uh, relatively espresso edition of TNC. We only went 10 minutes longer than we intended to. Damir Kulash, Nick Stoll, thank you for your company. I've been Josh Parrish. Thanks to uh, Joey Lynch for chiming in as well. Uh, it's a surprise appearance, in fact, from Qatar. And uh, we'll speak to you again tomorrow.